God's work is always happening, even though we do not see it. Very interesting conditions surrounding this as we open up and look at Psalm 74. It is fascinating. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we are studying the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Corey helps us now with Ryan. Corey. Today, I'm going to be taking a look at war horses and chariots in ancient Israel. Ryan. Well, continuing with our creation series today, I'm going to be making a possible connection between the Bible and the phenomenon known as universal expansion, which astrophysicists have observed. Universal expansion. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, Janice? It's our fun Friday wrap-up question. If you're new to the program, that means every Friday I can choose a question anywhere from the last week's reading assignments, which is anywhere this week from Psalm 45 through to 76, and I get to pick a question to ask. Psalm 74 Verses 1 through 12. O God, why have you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed, this Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Lift up your feet. To the perpetual desolations. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their banners for signs. They seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees. And now they break down its carved work all at once with axes and hammers. They have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, Let us destroy them altogether. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. O God, how long will the adversary reproach? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand? Take it out of your bosom and destroy them. For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Psalm 74, verses 1 through 12. Psalm 73, 74, 75, and 76. Several chapters in the Psalms today as we continue to read through the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt God has left you? There are many who have, including me. They think that because they can see no justice in their situation, that God must not care. That he has abandoned them. The problem is that we don't think as God thinks. He's got a divine mind. We see our situation in our time and through our eyes. God does not. He sees across time in every situation, and God knows how much we can take and when the end has come. 
I know that in my life, I have found that when things seem to go wrong, the wrong way, and I feel as though I'm failing, the only thing that helps is coming to God in prayer. Somehow, God always strengthens me. Not that life gets any easier, but it seems that I get stronger. Psalm 74 is perfect, a perfect song to sing during times when we feel as though we are at the end. God speaks through his word. And this psalm is placed here for the times when we are being hemmed in and we seem to be failing. This, this, I'm telling you, this, this is an interesting psalm. Take the Bible guide out. Turn to this page today because when nothing seems left, it seems like it's over. God's left you. Everybody's left you. I want to talk to you. Get, get to the Bible guide. If you don't have a Bible guide, I can tell you that you can get a hold of one at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Write us or call us. But you can go there and uh, thank you for your downloads or thank you for your uh, donations. We really appreciate them. They're very, very important to us. Father, I pray that you would touch people's heart today and uh, speak to them in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. And as we, we get our minds wrapped around this idea, let's pray. Father, I pray today that our thinking would shift, that we would change, that your Holy Spirit would come and teach us your ways and show us your paths from this remarkable, stunning, divine book. Help us, Lord, to understand that your Bible is unique among other readings. Help us to learn from it how to think. Because, God, we need to know how to think. We need to know that you are unique, and this truth is the eternal truth of God. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, let's turn to Psalm 74. It is great. Let's begin with verse 1. Here is what the Bible says. Listen carefully. Oh God, why have you cast us off forever? Why? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Why? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old? The tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed? This Mount Zion, where you have dwelt? Lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary, Lord. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting places. They set up their, their banners for signs. And they seem like men who lift up their axes among the thick trees. I mean, it's all coming down. God's sacred places never seem to be sacred. In times of trouble. Have you noticed that? God's sacred places never seem to be sacred in times of trouble. The sacred place of Jesus Christ, God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, is where God always is and works. In your heart. That's the sacred place. So keep in mind, it's not the churches or this statue or that statue. Here's a statue. There's a statue everywhere. It's none of that your heart, what you believe, who you know is God. That's where he lives. And so that's what we pray. And we say, Lord, if, if anything sacred is being tossed, it's in my heart. Keep my heart right before you. Help me, Lord, because that's where God resides. 
The temple is you and me. The temple of the Lord. Very important. That's in scripture, by the way. We'll get to it later on. Psalm 74, verses 6 says, And now they break down its carved wood. All at once with axes and hammers, they have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them altogether. They have burned up all of the meeting places of God in the land. All of the meeting places. It is God who is targeted when sacred places are ravaged. Remember that, not you, God. Church buildings and places are not sacred. Our heart is. I say it again. Remember that your heart is the place where God lives. If we have invited Jesus Christ into our heart, that's exactly where God lives. Beloved, listen carefully. There's a lot of things happening today. A lot of things are changing. A lot of things are messed around. Things are not, this is not the, these are not the countries we grew up in or we lived in. But you, do you know the Lord? God will never leave you, even to the end of the age. God will never leave you. You need to understand that the only thing that matters is what your heart believes about Jesus Christ. He is Lord of your life. So we need to remember he matters in us. And the only way they're going to destroy that is destroy you. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are destroyed. But let me tell you something. There's thousands of people daily being saved by the grace of God. That's amazing. Thousands. Bet you didn't know that. It's over in the East. Let's go on to the scripture, 74.9. We do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who know how long. Oh God, how long will the adversary reproach? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand? Take it out of your bosom and destroy them. And then he shifts, shifts, and he thinks, for God is my king from old. He remembers that. God is my king from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Oh my goodness, God's work always continues. But we often do not see it. We don't see it all, but the Lord is ever present and is saving people all the time. I just need to tell you this. I saw, I heard, listened to Phil Bianci on Focus on the Family the other day, and uh, he was saying that some, something like 30,000 people are saved on a daily basis in Africa and in India. Uh, Algeria is one of the places. And let me tell you something, God is moving overseas and we need to pray in Jesus name because there is a remarkable work in Africa, a remarkable work happening in India. I love India. India is a great place. Wowmission.com, we support India and working there with widows and orphans. It's, it's excellent. Anyway, the idea is God is doing work and he's changing people's lives. So let's remember that. Let's not keep our mind focused on our neighborhood, our city, our house, our yard. But let's remember God is all around the world. And Jesus, grow your church. In Jesus' name, preach it to every nation. In Jesus' name. And we said together, amen.
Today, I want to take our cue from Psalm 76. You know, in this psalm, the the psalmist is talking about how God has miraculously protected Jerusalem and how though it it doesn't make sense from a human standpoint, the Spirit of God has been able to overcome all of the mighty weapons of warfare and and mighty warriors that have come against his city. And in verse 6, it says, At your rebuke, God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. Now, it's easy to overlook when you're reading through the scripture at such a fast pace, but this is certainly not the only time where the Bible talks about war horses and chariots. It's all over the the time period of the kings and even, you know, just at the end of the time, at the beginning of the time period of the kings, the end of the judges. So today you and I are going to be taking a look at war horses and chariots. Beginning in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, horses are mentioned frequently in the context of war. At first, horses and chariots are the terrifying tools of the enemies of Israel, Pharaoh's chariots, and the deadly iron chariotry of the Philistines, for example. In those early days of Israel as a nation, they themselves did not possess a chariotry. But as the time of the kings of Israel unfolded, horsemanship and chariot warfare became a primary goal. By the third king, Solomon, we see Israel buying horses in bulk, building chariot cities, and organizing a centralized feeding system for the nation's horses. A few generations later, during the reign of King Ahab, two enemy nations would record on documents that still survive Ahab and Israel's unusually powerful chariot force. The Teldan Stella says that Ahab brought 2,000 chariots to battle, which would represent anywhere from four to 6,000 chariot horses. This seems to confirm an Assyrian record that claims Ahab brought the strongest chariot force to the Battle of Karkar, again, numbering 2,000 chariots. Scholar and modern horse professional Deborah O'Daniel Cantrell has argued for a modern misunderstanding of the archaeological evidence for horses and chariotry in ancient Israel, largely based off a misunderstanding of the needs and training regimes of horses. Her work points to the city of Megiddo as an exemplar of a chariot city, showing convincing evidence for horse stabling, including horse chewing marks on remaining feeding troughs as well as interpreting Israel's four- and six-chambered gates as chariot hitching stations. Chariot horses were a most feared weapon. They were trained to kill by trampling, and in the words of Cantrell, they were trained to be addicted to speed, which is what made them both a fearsome weapon and difficult to control in the heat of battle. Horses were also very difficult to kill, with spear, arrow, and sword wounds exciting them further and with their circulatory system allowing their drivers hours to get them back to camp to deal with what could have been deadly wounds. Horses' main weakness, on the other hand, is their stamina. Horses' exhaustion levels need to be strictly controlled by their drivers, otherwise they would work themselves to death. This meant that to battle successfully, a chariotry would need to have waves of chariots that would fight and retreat to camp for rest. Another weakness is the horse's startle reflex, which could send an excited warhorse on an uncontrolled, deadly flight. History seems to show that enemy armies were always trying new tactics to startle enemy horses while desensitizing their own horses to the same stimuli. 
There were parts of the war horse's apparel that did help with this. Horses wore blinders to limit their vision by up to 90%, and multiple bells were incorporated onto their gear. This could have multiple benefits, helping horses match each other's gaits, announcing their presence, and creating a comforting white noise for the horses. Whether we think of the heavenly horses that accompanied Elijah to heaven, the fearsome chariot driver King Jehu, or the war horses of Revelation, it's clear that horses were tremendously important in the history of Israel. Now, in the world of historical and archaeological research, there is a lot of debate that goes on uh, when you look at the physical remains that may be related to horses and stables in ancient Israel. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of work done on war horses and chariots and the training of those themselves. So if you are really interested in this topic, I do have an author that I would recommend to you, Deborah O'Daniel Kent. Trell. Uh, she wrote a book called The Horsemen of Israel, and she uh, is both a horse professional, but she also uh, has her degree in historical studies and has been on several excavations in, um, in Israel, in modern day Israel, excavating ancient Israel. Uh, and it's a little bit of a technical read, but if you're really into archaeology and you really want to know more about horses and chariots and war horses, then I think, you know, you can, you can overlook look some of the technical language and read it because it is really interesting. Yeah, that that is fascinating. And the fact that you're reading these books is excellent, Corey, because <laughs> I love them. I yeah. can't get enough. Well, that's well, that's good. good because then you can share the information with us. In True. fact, that's exactly mm -hmm. correct. Uh, and, and that's beautiful. Excellent. OK, Ryan, you're up. All right. Well, today, in continuation of my creation series, I'm going to be exploring a possible connection between a scientific discovery and what the Bible tells us. See, the Bible says a few different times that God has stretched out the heavens like a curtain. And I can't help but wonder if this has some connection to the expansion of the universe. Now, most scientists today claim that universal expansion is connected with the Big Bang Theory. But actually, the Big Bang isn't necessary at all to explain the expansion of the universe. So today, I offer you a biblical creationist's point of view on this subject. It was the 20th century American astronomer Edwin Hubble who first promoted the idea of an expanding universe. Today, this is almost unanimously accepted by both creationists and evolutionists. In fact, evolutionists often use the expanding universe as one of the major proofs for the Big Bang Theory. However, this is backwards since universal expansion was already known about before the development of the Big Bang. Indeed, the Big Bang was constructed around the expansion and therefore explains it, but does not predict it. However, many different models could be constructed to explain universal expansion besides the Big Bang. For example, for a creationist, one possible interpretation of the universal expansion could come from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. This Bible passage states that God stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Interestingly, in the original Hebrew, this statement does not appear to be in the present tense, but rather in the past. Therefore, based on this, some creationists believe that the Bible here is actually referring to a stretching out or expansion of the heavens during the initial creation week. If this is the case, it provides an interesting solution for the light travel time problem. The light travel time problem is this. 
If the universe is only thousands of years old, as a plain reading of scripture indicates, then how are we seeing light from stars, galaxies, and other objects many hundreds of thousands of light years away? Indeed, light from these distant objects would take much longer than thousands of years to reach the Earth. Over the years, there have been a number of credible theories about getting the distant light to the Earth in a short amount of time. However, if God did stretch out the heavens during the creation week, then the light from the stars and galaxies would also have stretched out. This would mean the light was already visible by the time God created man. Based on this, it is conceivable that the expansion of the universe we are now observing is actually a remnant of this initial stretching. This remnant expansion is also clearly purposeful in design, since if the universe were static, gravity would slowly pull the universe inward, causing a universal collapse. Universal expansion, therefore, actually shows evidence not for an unorchestrated Big Bang event, but rather for a highly designed and ordered creation by a supremely wise and intelligent creator. So as you can see, despite the claims of pop science, universal expansion cannot actually be used as a proof for the Big Bang, since universal expansion was already known about before the model was ever developed. That means that while the Big Bang explains the universal expansion, it doesn't predict it. And that means that any number of models besides the Big Bang could be developed to explain the expansion. And this is exactly what we did today. And if you think that I'm uh, crazy for rejecting the Big Bang, then that's okay. But you should know that there are a growing number of scientists, and many of them secular, who see the failings of this model as well. You know, if only more scientists would actually take the Bible seriously, I truly do believe that there would be a new scientific revolution and a spiritual revolution as well. You know, there's no conflict between science and the Bible. There's only a conflict between certain interpretations of scientific data and the Bible. Certain interpretations, and I think that becomes really, really important. You know, uh, you, you talk about universal expansion and all of that, and it's just in our minds that something had to start. Mm -hmm. But the, the question goes further is, well, what caused the Big Bang? I mean, there was nothing and then there was a Big Bang. Yeah. Well, a bang happens because there's something. Yeah. Where did the something come from? Yeah. And the universe has to be expanding, at least expanding or slowly contracting. It has to be moving or else it would eventually collapse on itself, right? And so it's, a, totally it's right. a design feature to actually help us to live yeah. and to and keep living. You can get into the discussion of time on this because... Uh, it's as it moves away, the, the blue shift and the light yeah, and all that stuff, yeah. um, then it appears as if it's getting older or slowing down or whatever because it's moving away from you. But the truth is that time is relevant and uh, it's relevant to where you are in the universe. Relative. Or relevant, sorry. Relative, relative. yeah, <laughs> to where you are in the, in the universe because time uh, either is contracting or expanding depending on where we're at. So this gets, I don't want to get into this because this gets in really yeah, big. No, but you're right. I mean, they've shown this with clocks clocks on the earth, a clock really high up and a, a clock down low, and it, they ticked slightly different rates because of the gravity. So uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, interesting. Yeah, Story for is. another day. It, yeah, <laughs> it is. And you know, when I read your pieces uh, on the website, and you can go to the website and click on the read, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the read and read their pieces and all of that. You can also see their pieces. Uh, it's really good. Yeah. My, uh, Corey, you've mentioned your YouTube as well. Uh, you can also watch my pieces on my YouTube, just my name, Ryan Hembry, as well. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. You can do that, Ryan Hembry, Corey Babechko. But keep in mind that you can also see, read your pieces and all that on the website. Mm -hmm. And we also have on the website 
All of the programs are available there. You can see the program that you're watching now and all the other programs and also a live stream that we put together with programs we've done here. And so you can watch the live stream as well. So there you go. Uh, also, and we're on Rumble too. We're not only on Bible Discoveries, not only on uh, YouTube and Facebook, but we're also on Rumble. So we're very excited about that now. All right. And weekend. Weekend, Corey. Yep, we do a chapter by chapter recap every week. We upload those videos on Saturday mornings. It's just on my YouTube channel, Corey Bevechko. So the idea behind that is if you fall behind in your some of your assigned daily reading, then you can just watch the recap. We'll get you caught back up so that you can keep going with your reading and you don't get too far behind. Very good. We're going to continue on. But before we do that, go ahead with the uh, question, because mm -hmm. I'm really curious about mm -hmm. this. So I could I ask I a question from too. anywhere, Psalm 45 through to 76. I'm not going to give the psalm right off the top where I got it. I'm going to make you wait at home a little bit so that you can open your Bible quickly if you're not sure what the answer is. Not here. But no, that's We're all not. right. Don't okay. worry. Okay. They're okay. There. So I'm not going to say in what psalm yet, but here it is. What does David compare himself to in the house of God? And here's the verse. But I am like, what in the house of God? I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. All right. So, but I am like, number one, a strong tower. Number two, a green olive tree. Number three, a cedar of Lebanon. What does David compare himself to? If you're still struggling, you don't know. Say, Janice, I don't know. I need a clue. Psalm 52. What does David compare himself to in the house of God? But I am like a strong tower, a green olive tree, or a cedar of Lebanon in the house of God. They have 26 I seconds. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Don't panic. Lots of time. So what say you, Ryan and Corey? I'm very confident. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Green olive tree. Yeah. And what about you at home? <laughs> did you go with green olive tree? If you did, you are exactly right. David compares himself, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Psalm 52, verse 8. Thank you for joining us and we invite you to come and join us 3.30 to 4.30 Monday, Wednesday and Friday at Facebook and YouTube. I always say this every day, but I like to remind people on a regular basis. It takes about 14 times for you get it in your mind. Join us there, Bible Discovery TV or Facebook and YouTube and we'll pray for you Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 3.30 to 4.30. Right now we need to pray. Lord, I need to remember you're coming back soon. Help me, Lord, to remember that. 